Here at Just Baseball, we have teamed up with BetMGM for the 2023 MLB season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use code JUSTBASEBALL, and you will get up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Step number one, download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code JUSTBASEBALL. Step number two, deposit at least $10 and place your first wager on any game. Step number three, you will receive receive up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your bet loses. Just make sure you use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up. Disclaimer, 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in Washington, D.C., Mississippi, Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in Colorado, Washington, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. Call 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. Call 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. Call 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. Call 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code JUSTBASEBALL and get your $1,000 first bet offer today. Thursday, August 10th, we are talking underrated pitchers here on the Just Baseball Show. I'm RM Layton. He's Peter Apple. And unfortunately, Peter, we got to start with a little bit of an injury report as he's just it just comes with the territory. A lot of pitchers going down, but some players returning as well. So we'll start with that. But I'm also really excited to get into some of these underrated pitchers because you and I got together. We realized we got too many American League arms. So I don't know if what the deal is with the National League. I don't know if it's a bias that you and I have. I don't know why I would have an American League bias, but for whatever reason, there's a lot more underrated American League arms. But we we added a couple National League arms in there as well. Yeah, we had to kind of mix it up because we both sent each other our lists. And then we we're like, wait a minute. <laughs> it's all American League. So we mixed and matched. It's still more American League, but it's just yeah. our list. I'm sure, like, if you're watching this on YouTube, let us know in the comments if we miss anybody, because similar to our underrated hitters episode, there are plenty oh, yeah. of underrated pitchers that we won't mention, but I brought five, Arm brought five, and this episode is brought to you by BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks. Use promo code JUSTBASEBALL when you sign up and deposit into your newly created account. Download the BetMGM sports app on iOS or Android or visit betmgm.com. Place your first bet offer and receive up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if it loses. If the bet does lose, your bonus bets will be available once the wager is settled. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER and must be 21 or older. Armed to start on the injury report before we get into our top 10 underrated pitchers. It's a pressing one, and it's a depressing one. And yeah. that's Shane McClanahan going down. Yeah, I mean... That we've talked about like the Rays IL rotation is like World Series caliber. 
I don't, I don't know what's going on over there. It's just, it's just seems like horrible luck. And it just, it stinks because this seemed like, and, and I mean, they could still make noise, but you, you felt like, okay, as long as they have McClanahan, they can survive a lot of these injuries and, and get by. But now it, I don't know. I'm curious what you think. Do you feel like this is kind of like the final blow and they're going to make the playoffs. I think that they're going to hang around. They're going to be a good team, but in terms of just being like a world series contender, you feel like this, like they were limping and I felt like this was just like the last like baseball bat to the kneecap and they just went down. Like I, they could only fight off so much. Because their offense is great, but it's not so great that it can overcome the lack of pitching. Because it's one thing if you're starting rotation, if some arms go down, Drew Rasmussen, Jeffrey Springs, Shane Boz, and now Shane McClanahan. If you had a great bullpen, you could counteract some of that. But there's not a lot of great bullpen arms in that raised pen. Pete Fairbanks is one of the best closers in Major League Baseball, but he can't shoulder the load by himself, right? Why are the Orioles so good? For one, they have Felix Bautista, even though he gave up a grand slam <laughs> to Kyle Tucker in that last game, but they have Yenny or Cano, and they have so many other good arms that can get them from the fifth inning to the ninth inning, and then you yeah. go to Felix Bautista. Like, Jason Adam isn't enough, Right. What makes the Rays great is they're able to grab pitchers from the lost and found bin yeah. and then turn them into great relievers. They haven't necessarily done that this season. So if they don't get great production from their starters, it's hard for them to get to Pete Fairbanks. And when yeah. you don't have those starters, you have to really out hit everyone. And while in the beginning of the season they were, it wasn't sustainable offense. No. So it's going to be tough for them. Yeah, and and the the deal on McClanahan, he's seeking another opinion now because, as Kevin Cash said, and it's highly unlikely that he will pitch again this season. I think you could pretty much chalk it up as he he won't. Um, there's options across the board from Tommy John surgery, which this would be a second flexor surgery or loose body removal. Those are all options according to manager Kevin Cash. So, I like that's all of those options stink. Second Tommy John, as we talk about with Walker, like that's that's a big thing to come back from or see, see Nate Evaldi do it, but now he's on the IL with a forearm issue. It, it just sucks. Um, and, and it's really frustrating too, because he's one of the game's most exciting pitchers. They have another guy who's one of the game's most exciting pitchers in Tyler glass. Now he's dealing with it a, a little like back spasm, whatever it was that, that got him out of the last game. And it just seems like he can't stay healthy. You talk about how they can find guys from the lost and found bin, but you need your studs. And like, those are the guys that put you over the top. Now they've got their studs all on the shelf and you know, they're going to have to try to piece this together. It's, it's tough to see. And, you know, I think kind of game planning now with McClanahan out, they already, thank goodness they got Aaron Savali because that's now one of the guys they are going to lean on pretty hard. But, you know, I wonder how much more aggressive they would have been at the deadline if they knew McClanahan would be going down, you know, and, and potentially be unavailable for the rest of the year. Not that much out there, but they could have probably done something else. So they're in a really tough spot now too. Um, and, it, and it's really unfortunate. You want to see all of the best teams 100% healthy. Their rotation right now is Zach Eflin at the top, who we will talk about later. Aaron Savali. <laughs> Continue. Taj <laughs> Bradley. Yeah, yeah. Right? There's not a lot to hang your hat on there in this current Rays rotation right now, especially because, and Rays fans, I can already hear them saying, what about Tyler Glass now? What about Tyler Glass now? 
He's slated to come back this weekend, which is good, but he didn't make his start against the Tigers because of back spasms. And we know that Tyler Glass now is a former Tommy John guy. And at this point, we're so happy to watch Tyler Glass now pitch because we rarely see it. Yeah. And he's not a guy who I'm saying, oh, yeah, he's definitely going to be healthy for the rest of the season. How can we say that? He didn't make his last start because of back spasms. He's a huge guy who gets a ton of extension, a lot of long levers there. It's going to be tough for him to stay healthy his entire career. So while they do have him right now, he's not fully healthy. That's why I omitted him when I when I made when I gave you the silent treatment because yeah. I even said Taj Bradley who got sent down, and we're also hearing reports he might not be fully healthy. Yeah, they're which, in a really tough spot. It's crazy, man. So I mean, hopefully, hopefully they can get a healthy glass now. I mean, that's a big if, but that's a game changer for them. And you know, it's real. It's really tough right now. I, I feel for Rays fans, and I feel for the Rays. A couple other injuries of note, and then we'll talk about guys returning. Uh, Josh Young, thumb issue, broken thumb. He's out for probably around six weeks. Really fluky, unfortunate thing. He's been having such a good year over there with the Texas Rangers. Here's the thing, though. We just talk about how like how important McClanahan was you know, to that rotation. How do they survive without him? Josh Young's been a big part of the Rangers' success. 122 WRC+, plus, nearly a three-win player. He's launched 22 homers. But th- this Rangers offense... I think it pick up the slack, right? It stinks to lose Josh Young. And when you're trying to make a world series push, like you want to have all your guys, hopefully he'll be back, you know, in time for the postseason uh, or right before it, but those they'll tread water without him. This team is just so loaded offensively. It hurts. It stings, but it's not a backbreaker by any means. No, it's, it's, it's not really a backbreaker. Like right now, you know, we're recording on Wednesday and Josh H Smith is playing third base. But I don't know if he's going to be the long-term option there at third base. I'm curious if they might try and move Ezekiel Duran over to third base for at least the next six weeks, kind of as their stable guy there, because he's played some shortstop. He can obviously play in the outfield. But Travis Jankowski is hitting second today for the Texas <laughs> Rangers. Like, he's a guy who's been good for them. So you could yeah. just put him in the outfield, and then you can mix and match, of course, with Leody Tavares and Adolis Garcia, then put Ezekiel Duran at third. And I don't know how well defensively Ezekiel Duran's going to play, but I know he can hit the baseball. And then when you have Corey Seager and you have Marcus Semien and you have Nathaniel Lowe, like it doesn't really matter all that much. It stings, but it's nowhere close to the Rays losing McClanahan. No. And no. and that's just a luxury of the Rangers, right? Like yeah. if the Rays lost McClanahan, but they still had Springs, they still had Rasmussen, we'd be like, ah, that stinks, but they'll be okay. That's what we're saying about the Texas Rangers right now because they have a luxury of wealth. A hundred percent. And they even got guys in AAA. Like if, if someone's not looking great, they can call up Justin Foscue, who I don't think will light the world on fire, but one of the better bat-to-ball guys in the upper minors, he can hold it down. Uh, they've got several guys that could you know plug in and, and, and help out. So they'll be fine. They'll weather the storm, and you know, hopefully Josh Young comes back because it's been really fun to watch him you know, in this rookie campaign put up big-time numbers. Talking about people who can be coming back, the Red Sox are getting some reinforcements, which probably comes at a good time for them because they're not, they're kind of faltering a little bit. They, I think they need this injection of life. And they they just got that with Trevor Story, who did go 0 for 4 with three punchies in his first game. But I mean, his first game back in a long time, regardless, he's better than Yu Chang from day one. Um, so that, that helps a ton. And he can actually throw the baseball now. So he should be able to pick it there a little bit better. 
or that's got to help the Red Sox or their former in Kike Hernandez, who is now gone. So oh I'm sure God. they're happy to get Trevor Story yeah. back. Oh, they've got to be thrilled. He helps big time. Hopefully he can get things rolling there. But that's a guy that I know they got to be thrilled to get back. And then they're also potentially going to get Chris Sale back very soon. He made a triple A rehab start, was really sharp in this, you know, in the, in the game score uh, department, four and a third, three hits, no runs, no walks, seven Ks. It was interesting that his velocity was down a bit. Maybe just wasn't trying to, you know, cut loose. He was average 91 with the fastball topped out at 94. But Chris Sale can succeed at that at, at that velocity anyways, as long as he's pounding the strike zone, which he was. 38 of his 53 pitches were for strikes. And maybe the velocity will come back as he goes. I, they'll take a subdued Chris Sale right now in that rotation too. I, I think diminished versions of both of these guys help the Red Sox right now. So they got to feel good about adding these two. And I'm sure Garrett Whitlock will be back soon as well. But yeah, I mean, you look at the Red Sox right now, the Yankees and the Red Sox, they're almost seeing, they're almost trying to finish last, one of the two yeah. teams, right? The Yankees uh, have been lucky that they have Garrett Cole, and weirdly enough, Clark Schmidt has been the yeah. second best pitcher. But with the Red Sox, they don't have that ace that they can turn to every fifth day and expect a win. Now, you're yeah. going to talk about a Red Sox pitcher that you really like that's underrated, but they don't have that Garrett Cole. Chris Sale has to come in and be that Garrett Cole for the Red Sox to have a shot at making the playoffs. The only issue is he's not that. And especially the velocity yeah. is down. Like That's the only reason I bring it up, right? For the Red Sox to make the playoffs, they need a 80th percentile of Garrett Cole in Chris Sale. But if his velocity isn't there, he was already going through ups and downs in the regular season. Yeah. And if he doesn't have it there and he's not at his sharpest, the Yankees and the Red Sox are going to be fighting for the last place for the rest of the year. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. And and that's going to be the interesting thing. So I'm going to monitor. I'm looking forward to monitoring that next Chris Sale start. Uh, but even even a subdued sale, probably not making the playoffs, but helps you stay afloat and, and hang around in it. Um, and And same thing with. Trevor story. Yeah, Am just I forgetting to, anybody else? Just to wrap up on Trevor story for a second. Like, yes, he did go over four, three strikeouts, which is not ideal. But the thing that's always been great about Trevor story is he's so good defensively, right? Which matters, right? You're getting at his peak, at least, you know, I don't know what to expect this season, but at his peak, one of the better defensive shortstops that we have in the entire game, which in turn makes him one of the better defenders that we have in major league baseball. And it's not like the Red Sox have been that great defensively this year, right? Rafael Devers has improved, but he's still not great, right? Masataki Oshida has been fantastic with the bat, a hole with the glove, yes, right? Jaron Duran has shown flashes of being a great defender, but at the same time, he's dropped baseballs that have cost the Red Sox wins, right? And you go around the diamond, Costas is a great hitter, but he's not known for his glove, right? No. So adding a defensive player like Trevor Story... I think is as impactful as what the bat could be. And then if the bat delivers, he, he, no wonder Bloom just sat in his chair, sat on his hands and did nothing at the yeah. deadline because he expected Trevor Story back. And it's going to be interesting to see if we get Colorado Rockies Trevor Story or if we get a subdued version of Boston Red Sox Trevor Story that we've seen thus far in his short career with them. Yep, he he finished the uh, the rehab stint over the last five games in AAA, seven hits over his last five games, a pair of home runs, three walks, five strikeouts. So rolling into there with some momentum, homered in his last game, walked twice. So it should be good to see him kind of get rolling again. And even if he's average defensively or slightly below it, that's a far cry better than what they were getting from that position. Plus, I think they're going to get a lot more offensively too. So 
yeah, you could you could say, oh, he's a one or two win player the rest of the way, but they were getting negative war from that. They weren't getting replacement level production from shortstop. So they're going to get almost twofold value here with, with Trevor Story. But you want to jump into these underrated pitchers? Let's talk underrated pitchers. So the way Jack and I did it, we just went back and forth. Let's do um, it. Do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? You go first. I'll t- go ahead. All right. So I'm going to start it off with a guy who's not really underrated, but I really want to talk about him. So this pitcher is considered one of the better pitchers in baseball, but I don't think we fully realize that he might be the best pitcher alive. And I know that's a big statement. So don't scroll off on TikTok or click off the podcast, but I want to give Kevin Gosman the shine he deserves since 2022. He is number one in F4 at 9.7. And not just number one by a little bit. A full win above second place. Sierra, which is skill interactive ERA, which is a very good ERA predictor. It might be the best that we have when predicting future performance for pitchers. He is number one since 2022. The only pitcher below 3.00. Second place is 3.09. He's sitting at 2.98. This season, he is seventh in ERA in all of Major League Baseball. He is first in fielding fielding independent pitching and second in Sierra this season, right? So when Kevin Gosman came over from the Giants, he got a similar contract to Robbie Ray. And we're like, wow, the Blue Jays are getting a very good pitcher, right? They have a great one-two at the top with Alec Manoa and Kevin Gosman when Alec Manoa made his descent or ascent. Now it's descent for the blue Jays, but he truly is an ace. And the problem with Kevin Gosman is that he never gets run support from the Toronto blue Jays. Blue Jays fans know this very well. When Kevin Gosman takes the mound, it's probably going to be a two to zero game. And what's seeming is that they keep losing these games. But what Kevin Gosman does so well is he has an excellent pitch arsenal He strikes out the world. He's one of the league leaders in strikeouts. He doesn't walk a soul. He's one of the league leaders in walk rate in the good version. Kevin Gosman, since 2022, in the best ERA predictive stat that we have, and in wins above replacement, is the number one pitcher in baseball. And I feel like when people make top 10 lists, where's Kevin Gosman? Nine, 11, He should be closer to the top five, and you can make a sound argument that Kevin Gosman is the best pitcher in baseball. I I I don't I don't hate it. Like I think I think there's a really strong case there. And also the 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 big thing I'm looking at at this point, especially as we just talk about some of the best pitchers in the game going down with injuries left and right, is availability and consistency from Gosman too. Like sure, he might not you know finish the year with a one seven ERA like. Some of these other guys have had in, in flashes, right? We have that Verlander season the other year where he has that 175 ERA, but like then you don't have that same level of consistency. You look at some of the, the most durable starters in the game over the last three seasons. These are the guys that have made the most starts. Number one is Sandy Alcantara, who has hit a wall a little bit this year and has been inconsistent. Dylan Cease hit a wall this year, been inconsistent. Aaron Nola hit a wall this year, and I, honestly just has not been nearly as dominant as any of the guys we just mentioned. Garrett Cole is arguably the best pitcher in the game as the blend of durability and being a stud. And then you've got Barrios. Talk about inconsistency, though he's been good this year. 
and then Kevin Gossman in terms of most starts. Gosman at 86, Sandy at 88. So it's a difference of two starts there. And Gosman's ERA is lower than all of those guys since the start of the 2021 season, 0.01 over Sandy, but still. Um, it, it's the combination of the availability and then, of course, the FIP, it's not even close. Yeah. XFIP, it's not even close. War, it's not even close. Um, all of the expected stats that he talks about, not even close. Availability, consistency, and the dominance as well. I, to me, I, I think he's as valuable as of a pitcher as you're going to find. So you, you can talk about who's the best, who's the nastiest. I think in terms of value, I don't know if there's a lot of teams out there getting more value from their ace than the Jays are getting from Kevin Gosman. So I, I think you have a, a strong case there. And the reason that, you know, us on the podcast, like we still talk about ERA, we still think it's important, but there's a lot of things that a pitcher can't control. A pitcher goes to the ballpark and he has a couple of jobs. You want to miss bats. You want to strike out batters. Because if you strike out batters and you don't put a ball in play, it's not going to result in any sort of a hit. You don't want to walk anybody, right? Because you want to make the batter earn his hits. You don't want to give up any free passes. Anyone who's played Major League Baseball, when your pitcher is walking guys, you almost prefer them give up hits because at least they're throwing it in the strike zone and the defender can make a play on that. What does Kevin Gosman do best? one of the league leaders in strikeouts and he doesn't walk a soul and what do you also want to do you want to keep the ball on the ground and you don't want to allow hard contact kevin gosman one of the best at allowing self-contact and keeps the ball on the ground and his splitter might be the best overall pitch in baseball at least from a consistency purpose so that's why it's like we're talking about underrated pitchers we're gonna have plenty of pitchers that you maybe heard about maybe some pitchers that you've never even heard about at all but I just really wanted to highlight Kevin Gosman because when we rank guys, I never see him close to the top five and mostly looking in on the top 10 when I think he has a legit argument to be the best pitcher alive. I mean, under underrated is a relative term. And exactly. in this, in this you know context, you're, you're making the case that he's underrated. So I'm with you. Um, my first guy, Friend of the show, guy I'm a, I'm a big fan of as, as a person, but I mean, you can't deny what he's doing on the mound right now. Tanner Bybee of the Cleveland Guardians. Uh, he, I think the only reason why he's underrated at this point is he was kind of an unsung prospect as a fifth round pick in 2021. But I also feel like he's just always been overlooked to a degree. Even when we were ranking him in you know our top 100 list, we had him higher than everybody else had him. And then now he gets called up and he doesn't get the same fanfare that Gavin Williams sets or, or some of the other top pitching prospects had received. And, and this guy's just been dynamite and he's been better and better and better. It feels like every single time he's out there, 18 starts this year for Tanner Bybee as a rookie. And he's pitching to a two nine, two ERA, uh, the expected stats slightly higher, but I think he's a guy that's always going to outperform the peripherals. And even then the peripherals are still pretty strong. He's striking out nine batters, per nine. He doesn't walk a lot of guys, a lot of weak contact, doesn't let the ball leave the yard very often at all. But what stands out most to me is just the pitch ability. This guy's got four pitches that he is confident in across the board. And this was one of my favorite uh, live breakdowns that we did. If you go check out on the call up YouTube, Tanner and I kind of broke down some of his most recent starts at the big league level and in the minor leagues and just kind of his thought process, how he likes to attack hitters. He's just a smart guy. And that's what the Guardians always look for is those guys that just can outclass you. He's got above average stuff across the board, but then he also has the ability to command all of that stuff. And he has the ability to mix it up in sequence really well. 
he's just a walking quality start. And I think you can pretty much pencil Tanner Bybee into the number three spot for the Guardians for the next five plus years and you know, not really have to think twice about it. Uh, I think this is a big part of the Guardians future. And uh, I think Bybee is going to be a very one of the more consistent pitchers in the game moving forward. And he's had a lot of great starts this year, but I thought maybe for his team and then also just most impressive start was his last start against the Blue Jays. So what do the Guardians not do well? They do not hit left-handed pitching at all. Ryu came in, shoved against them, and they lost in a low-scoring game. They could not touch Yusei Kikuchi through seven innings and only allowed one earned run. I feel like when Tanner Bobby takes him out and he knows on the flip side there's a lefty, he knows he's got to shove. And what did he do? Stay verdy. And that's what he's got written on his glove. And at first I thought, oh, is he like, does he have to lean back or anything? He's like, no, I just got to keep my fastball yeah. vertical. I got to throw cheese. And I was like, I fucking love you, dude. That yeah. is electric. But what did he do? Seven innings, six hits, no runs, and a bunch of strikeouts. Yeah, He looked dynamite. And the Guardians won that game one to zero, yeah. right? So that almost felt like a vintage Cal Quantrill start <laughs> in the sense of like, he just willed his team to a win. Now, with all due respect to my guy, Cal, who I have behind me, he just doesn't have the stuff that Bybee does. Yeah. So Bybee, the command was excellent, spinning these breaking balls. The fastball was so much life at 95 miles an hour. He's a guy that, you know, Gavin Williams is definitely flashy. And who knows, maybe Gavin Williams will be better one day. But in that start, right, Gavin Williams struck out 12 and the team lost. And now the, the pitchers, they have no control over wins and losses. But he allowed a run. Yeah. I be didn't. Yeah. I, and that's the thing. He just he, he gets out of jams. He's got the field of pitch. It's just there's that that just pitchability, as you mentioned, that that Cal has, but with better stuff. And I, I love that about Tanner Bybee. So I think he's gonna be a very, very good pitcher for a long time. Only 24 years old and a young 24. He'll be 24 at the start of next year, too. Uh, and also known wearer of just baseball merch to the ballpark, which is always super cool. So a little biased there, but he would have been on the list regardless because we had him on the top 100 before we uh, ever had him on the show. He's got a 292 ERA. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like he he has to be on the list and just happens to be a knower of ball. Yes. He wears just baseball merch. Um, so my next guy is he might be the most important pitcher in baseball right now. And he's also very underrated. And that's Zach Eflin of the Tampa Bay Rays. So Zach Eflin, among all qualified starting pitchers this season, better than Kevin Gosman, who I just talked about, better than anybody, ranks number one in expected ERA this season at 292. Who's an expected ERA, darling? Spencer Strider, 315, right? To go along with Eflin's 334 ERA, which ranks 15th in Major League Baseball. So Zach Eflin, we remember him on the Philadelphia Phillies as kind of a swing man, number four, number five starter, and he's developed into one of the best pitchers in baseball this season. So what did the Rays do, right? So in 2022 with the Phillies, he was throwing his sinker, curveball, four-seamer, cutter, mixing in the changeup, and he also threw his slider as kind of a taste-breaker pitch. And the Rays brought him over and said, what we want you to do is throw your three best pitches all of the time, his sinker, his curveball, and his cutter. And Zach Eflin works with those three pitches in and out to righties. 
and lefties, right? He can work to both sides of the plate. With his sinker, he's throwing it in on left-handed batters. With his cutter, he's throwing away to left-handed batters. And simultaneously, sinker outside to righties, cutter inside to righties. And he just keeps mixing and matching. So you don't know what's coming. Is it a sinker? Is it a cutter? It's coming from the same exact release point. I feel like you can just never tell whether the ball's cutting in or cutting away. And then he drops the hammer curveball on you. So you have so many different movement variations to worry about. And he mixes speed so well. But then what's happened by only throwing those three pitches is he's keeping the ball on the ground at an elite rate. So Framber Valdez this season has about a 56% ground ball rate, right? Bryce Elder is in a similar type tier. Zach Eflin's ground ball rate this season is at 52.2%, which is a 7% increase from last season. Eflin is another guy. We talk about George Kirby, right? 2.6% walk rate, never allows a free pass. Zach Eflin, the reason why his expected ERA is so low is because not only is the quality of contact against him so weak, it's on the ground and he never allows free passes. He's in the 99th percentile of walk rate at 3.4%, but he can also strike you out But even when you make contact, it's weak and on the ground, and there's never anybody on base unless you earn a hit against Zach Eflin, which is getting increasingly harder because all three of his pitches are so great. So Zach Eflin, for the Tampa Bay Rays, might be one of the most underrated pitchers in baseball, but I think at this point in the season is the most important pitcher in Major League Baseball. I mean, definitely now with with what we know with McClanahan and everything going on there, but I think when you have the blend of high strikeout rate, and it's still relatively high, it's not elite, but it's high enough. Most guys that are ground ball pitchers are below average in the in the whiff department. When you have a strikeout rate above 25% and a ground ball rate above 50%, you're in a special category there. That's like what the Luis Castillos of the world do. Like that's That just gives you so many different ways to get an out. I can make you swing and miss. I can strike you out. If my stuff's not totally there, I can get a ground ball. If I'm in a jam, I can get the ground ball. If there's a runner on third and less than two outs, I can get the strikeout. Like it just gives you so many different escape routes and ways to get out and also keep the pitch count down. It's it's just the perfect blend. You want a swing and miss and ground ball guy. The thing is, most of the guys that are swing and miss guys in today's game, like the Spencer Striders, are fly ball guys because it's all about that carry at the top of the zone and and the hammer breaking ball or the hard slider. There's not a lot of guys that can work the bottom of the zone, work ground ball like orienting pitches, and also get whiff. That's really hard to do. Uh, and that's why I think F1 is kind of in a special category there. And it's also why he's able to avoid walks because he's pounding the zone, getting weak contact, and still somehow gets above average whiff. I think that's a pretty awesome combination to have there. No, it's a really good point that you brought up about Strider, and a lot of pitches pitchers are doing this, right? When we look at, well, what do hitters now, what are they trying to counteract? It's the fastball up. It's the fastball. Every pitcher is trying to get a ton of life on their fastball, get that induced vertical break that defies gravity, right? Because every fastball has natural drop to it but what pitchers are trying to do is eliminate that drop so it looks like it's rising when in reality it's not staying flat but it's just not dropping so in the blink of an eye a batter is used to a little bit of drop but instead it keeps it up so everyone's now getting ready for that what is Zach Eflin doing working low in the zone so he's while everyone's zigging he's zagging and getting back to that I'm not going to strike you out at the level of Spencer Strider, but I'm going to strike you out enough and I'm going 
I'm going to nail at something that you haven't been working on this offseason. When everybody's been preparing for the high fastball, I'm working low. And I don't even throw my four-seamer anymore, right? Because last season with the Philadelphia Phillies, he was throwing his four-seamer 15.5% of the time. And it even performed well arm. Opponents only hit 191 against that four-seam. But the Rays said, nope, we're dropping it to 4.6%. And the reason why I bring up the fastball is when you look at you know his plots, his heat maps, where he's throwing the fastball, it's all up. So while you're, all right, I'm facing Zach Eflin, everything's going to be low in the zone. It's going to be ditch, ditching and dodging right away from me. It's either going away, it's going in, he's dropping the curveball, but then he'll just electrocute you with a fastball up. And then you're just like, oh shit. And it helps the fastball play up, right? So his fastball this season, it's still 93, but opponents are hitting 042 against it. Yeah. Because they never know it's coming. It yeah. just, it lights you up. And it's such a good pitch like that. So I love what the Rays have done with Eflin. They've created one of the best pitchers in the American League. Yeah. Yeah. He mixes it in like a handful of times each start that four seamer. And all of a sudden you just weren't ready for that. You're looking down and it's the best surprise. I know that's something that Sandy Alcantara did with a lot of success last year. And yep. it's been trying to figure back out this year. My next pitcher is one of my favorites. Uh, one of the tallest guys out there. Bailey Ober of the Minnesota Twins. I've been talking about how this guy is underrated for a minute now. And like he's 6'9, which already makes me love him because I just love super tall pitchers. They just like kind of look awkward. But there's nothing awkward about the way that he throws. Talk about another guy that pounds the strike zone. This guy's walked one and a half batters per nine. He's does not a big strikeout guy, eight and a half strikeouts per nine, but he's pitched to a 3 2 1 ERA. He's a guy that gets a ton of weak contact and just mixes his pitch as well. Another dude that, yeah, the fastball may only be 91 to 92, sometimes a three, but talk about extension from a six, nine frame and hitting your spots. That perceived velocity has got to be 95, 96, maybe even a little bit higher than that. Then off of that, somehow this six, nine dude has a great feel for a changeup, which he lands for a strike nearly 70% of the time. So you have this fastball that's getting on you quick from this high release point. And then you've got this changeup that looks like a fastball from the high release point and then tumbles at the last moment. That pitch has just been disgusting for him this year. Opponents have a 540 OPS against it with a 27% strikeout rate. And again, he's pounding the strike zone with it. Then he mixes in an average slider and a decent taste-breaking curveball. And that's all he really needs because he commands the heck out of his fastball. He gets tons of whiff on the changeup and mixes in the curveballs just enough. This guy's been awesome for a while now in terms of just being steady. Uh, and you look at the career numbers, a 3.57 career ERA in 49 starts, and he just keeps getting better and better and better now that he's healthy. This guy's just another one of those walking quality starts. He might never get you the 10 punchies over six, but he's going to give you a quality start almost every single time he goes out there, and that's extremely valuable. I love the point that you made about perceived velocity because I think it's so important, right? You see the radar gun and you say, oh, 91, like, okay. But in reality, when it's six nine and he's extending off of the mound, the ball probably looks like it's 95, 96 miles an hour. Like friend of the program, Foolish Baseball, Bailey did had a really good YouTube video, which I recommend everybody checking out after you watch this on YouTube. Yeah. After. Yeah. Not now. After. Alexis Diaz, right? It's like 93, 94, but the perceived velocity is much higher because of the extension he gets. Yeah. Bailey Ober is getting similar extension, but he's six foot nine. It's kind of similar to like a Felix Bautista, right? Where it's coming in at 101, 
but to a hitter, it's probably looking 104. And that's what <laughs> Bailey Ober has. And he yes. does such a great job of the changeup in the fastball, like you said. It's coming out of the same release point. So it's impossible to tell. And it's so close to you as a hitter that you have to make a split-second decision. And nobody's been making those decisions correctly in those 49 starts that you said at a 3-5-7 ERA. Like, when yeah. you have a 50-start sample, yeah, it's a good sample a of three ERA guy. He I might mean, just be good. He might just be good. He might well, just be really, really good. The last thing I'll say, extension of about seven and a half feet, that's a full foot above average. So you think about the average guy is throwing from 60 feet, six inches. He's throwing from, you know, 59 feet, six inches in terms of just like where he's starting from, of course. So I, I think that really does make a big difference. And um, I, I, I just feel so safe with this guy. That's a guy that every time he's starting, I'm like, okay, if the offense puts up four runs, we got it. We got a really good shot to win this game. And that's, that's a sign of a good pitcher. Absolutely. My next guy at the trade deadline, everyone was clamoring, including ourselves for the Orioles to add a big time starter. And Grayson Rodriguez is extremely great, or at least he's proven it. And we'll probably continue to prove it because he's a top prospect. And, but I think everybody is expecting that to happen. But a guy who doesn't get enough shine, who is the best pitcher on the Orioles for my money right now, and has been one of the best pitchers in all of baseball this season, is Kyle Bradish. <laughs> so Stuff Plus measures the quality of a pitcher's stuff based on the physical characteristics of their pitches, right? It's based on velocity, shape, and release. Spencer Strider is number one. Corbin Burns is number three, and I left out number two because it's our guy, Kyle Bradish. Kyle Bradish has a 3-1-9 ERA among qualified starters that puts him sixth in Major League Baseball. And Kyle Bradish is a different pitcher than his savant page might tell you, right? Because his savant page is a little bit blue, right? His peripherals aren't great. He's got a 4-1-4 expected ERA. But I think he's going to be someone who who will routinely outperform his peripherals because of a change that he's made. So last season, he threw his sinker 4.4% of the time, and it performed okay. But this season, he's completely retooled it, and he's throwing it about 19.1% of the time. And that's just over the full season. He's throwing it more and more. And why is he doing that? Because his four-seam fastball, quite honestly, is dog shit. It's got a 385 batting average against. And for him to be effective in this league, he can't really throw the fastball. He has to keep the ball on the ground. One thing is for sure, Kyle Bradish is one of the best sliders in baseball, full stop. 182 batting average against. Last season, 212 batting average against. His slider has always been his bread and butter. But his sinker being 95 miles an hour, right? And the launch angle being only two degrees has helped him maintain a ground ball rate at 46%. So while he's allowing decently hard contact, it's continually into the ground. He's also got pretty solid command. He's uh, lowered his walk rate from 9% to 7% this season. And while the contact has been a little bit harder, it's coming a lot against that sinker. But the sinker has been so damn good at keeping the ball on the ground, it's just resulting in a bunch of double plays. That's yeah. why you see the ERA so low. So while his... Sierra, his expected ERA, those kind of stats would tell you, oh, he's more of a four ERA guy. I don't think he's going to be a four ERA guy. 
I think he's going to be a low to mid threes ERA guy moving forward because the slider is so good and the sinker is keeping the ball on the ground. He's a guy that the Orioles, I'm sure, are going to build around for the future because he just keeps getting better and better. Like we also have to remember that Kyle Bradish, while he is 26, this is his first real big huh? season. And another guy who hit his break at 26 is Jacob DeGrom. Now, will yeah. he be Jacob DeGrom? No. no. But can he be very effective for the Orioles who are in need of starting pitching? Absolutely. I'm a big fan of Kyle Bradish. So I think the number one thing here is what, what you referenced is just phasing that four-seamer out. If you if so basically he's throwing a pitch that got bombed 20% less. So you have you have a pitch that was getting absolutely demolished even last year, 321 batting average against 300 expected batting average at a 540 slugging percentage against his four-seamer. Well, now, as you mentioned, he starts throwing that sinker and just throws the four-seamer less. He still has to throw it because for whatever reason, like that still needs to be a part of his arsenal. He probably just wants to keep that top part of the zone, you know, in the hitter's mind. But just being able to phase that four-seamer out by 20% makes all the difference in the world. And then, as you mentioned, like, if you're a guy that's going to throw your slider now more than your fastball, you better throw it for a strike. And he throws it for a strike consistently. And, and that's a really hard thing to do, uh, to be a big league starter who throws a slider more than his fastball. Um, I guess technically, if you combine the, the sinker and the four-seamer, that would be the, the pitch he throws the most. But in terms of individual pitch, he throws the slider more than any other individual pitch. And, and that's pretty darn impressive. I, I think his floor is really high, like you said. And I think he's going to keep getting better as he kind of feels out, you know, the, the new way of of being able to throw and, and continuing to phase out that four-seamer. Uh, he's been a godsend for the Orioles. I, I don't know where they'd be without him. I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I like the point that you're talking about just phasing the four-seam out. He has to because, and it's not like if he phases the four-seamer out, oh, all he has is a slider and the sinker, right? His curveball has been extremely good this year. 33.3% whiff rate. It's got an ex-Wobo 227, which basically means the quality of contact has been horrible in a good way for Kyle Bradish. Opponents are only hitting 151 against it, and he throws that 17.4% of the time. And the usage rate as the season has gone along has only increased, right? He has a changeup. And while the changeup isn't great, it's his fourth pitch if he gets rid of the fastball which we've seen that more and more. So he could go slider, sinker, curveball, changeup, not throw the fastball at all, but take a note out of Zach Eflin's playbook. And while he's working low in the zone, sinker, slider, curveball, changeup, everything's low in the zone. Then he uses the forcing fastball, throw it once every couple of bats just to keep a guy honest. They're looking low in the zone, then fly it up right at the top of the zone. And that's when you can keep hitters off guard because it's not like his fastball is 91 miles an hour, right? He can throw it 94 and a half miles an hour. That's what he's average. But when you're only throwing it a couple of times a game, maybe it's sitting 95. Like when you only throw it a couple of times and when you're looking low in the zone and you get a 95 mile an hour fastball, opponents are not going to hit 385 against it anymore. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. Next guy for me uh, is a player that I've, just loved since he was a prospect guy. I've been really high on, and it's been cool to see him kind of putting it together in Boston. Brian Bale, right-handed pitcher, 24 years old, has been having a really nice year. Talk about a, a godsend. I mean, <laughs> this Red Sox rotation, I couldn't imagine where it would be without Brian Bayo. The surface-level stats, you know, not as good as some of the other guys that we've talked about, but this is a guy that has continued to improve. And more importantly, 
has held down a rotation that is just absolutely decimated and does not really have that many options there. But Bayo has really made the strides with his command. A guy that was walking four and change per nine last year, now walking just two and a half per nine. Pounds a strike zone with a heavy fastball that gets him, you know, plenty of ground balls when he needs it. But all of a sudden, it seems like he's also able to get the whiff when he wants to get it as well. And and I just feel like this is a guy that's become a more complete pitcher all around. And he just turned 24 years old. And it just seems like he gets better and better with each start. His changeup is disgusting. And this is a pitch that he has a ton of confidence in. Uh, he lands it for a strike more than 63% of the time. His sinker now, too, he's able to command it east-west. He's able to get those ground balls. A 57% ground ball rate for Brian Bayo. It, it's just one of those things where he can just continue to really erase hitters counts 2-0 he locates a sinker guy sitting dead red they end up rolling over on it because of the late dive that it features he goes to that sinker 37 percent of the time plenty of success with that then he'll mix in that four seamer and it's similar to to the other guys that we've talked about in a vacuum gets hit hard but now that he's phased it out a little bit he can zip it up at the top of the zone and sneak it by you instead of a pitch that he has to throw too often the slider is a work in progress uh, but I think that's something that can kind of separate him from being more of that number three starter to, you know, more of a number two type. But I think the ability to get the ground balls, the disgusting changeup, which has a 23% swinging strike rate, which is absolutely absurd. Opponents are hitting around a buck 80 against the pitch this year uh, with a 52% ground ball rate. You might not strike out in, in bunches against Brian Bayo, but good luck trying to consistently barrel this guy up. You're going to end up rolling over and putting it on the ground. And that's just one thing he's been really good at all year long. And then he'll sneak the, the change up by you uh, with some late fade and you swing over it. And all of a sudden he can get some swing and miss too when he needs it. So we talk about the X dog in him, which is a made up stat, but yeah. here's how I quantify it. Walk rate times your age. And if that's a really low number, you got a little bit of dog in you because when you come up, especially with the Boston Red Sox, right? Pitching at Fenway, pitching against the American League East. It's one of the hardest environments to come up in as a really young pitcher. And for that walk rate to be that low, he is challenging hitters in the American League East with yeah. his stuff. That tells me he trusts in his offering. And what he's saying is, I dare you to hit it. I got faith in what I can do on the mound. Let's go toe-to-toe. And we've seen him do that, right? In his last start against the Kansas City Royals. Now, it's the Royals, but they've been one of baseball's hottest offenses since the break. <laughs> and he went after them. After them, pitched extremely well. And what were we just talking about at the beginning of the episode? The Boston Red Sox lack of defense, right? Yeah, One of the lesser defensive teams in Major League Baseball. And you talked about it. Doesn't get a lot of strikeouts. Gets enough strikeouts to be good, but he's not a high strikeout guy. He's relying on his defense. So you couple all that with, I'm in the American League East. I'm really, really young, and I know my defense isn't that great. And he's still throwing all these strikes. Yeah, Red Sox got a good one for a long time, not only because of his performance, but I think mentally he's locked in. Now, I could be wrong, but the numbers speak for themselves. To be that young knowing what you have behind you in a division that he is, right? All stats have context to them. And he's in a really tough spot. And he's also being relied upon a ton, right? Would we talk about at the beginning of the episode? Yeah. Sales been out. 
Whitlock's been out. Who's the guy that the Red Sox can go to every fifth day? That's Brian Bale. And they've been going to him every fifth day. It's hard. Like Tanner Bybee, I thought, is a, is a great example, too. These guys are throwing a ton of innings in their first year. Yeah. The arms are getting yeah. tired. And what was arguably Bayo's best start of the year, not his best start, but up there, was his last start in the middle of August in the dog days. The Red yeah. Sox have a really good one there. While, while the team was struggling. And yep. the last thing I'll say is, you know, sinkers historically and just almost always are very low whiff pitches. It's just they're easy to get the bat on. It's just hard to square up. But as it pertains to sinkers, Bayo gets more whiff than you'd see in the zone and just in general than most do on sinkers. I mean, the average swinging strike rate's usually around like five, six, five, six percent. He's up at nine percent on a swinging strike rate there, in zone whiff rate of around 18%. Those are both really good figures for a sinker. And over his last 10 starts, a 71% ground ball rate on the sinker. So he gets more whiff than the average sinker and gets more ground balls than really like anybody gets on any pitch. And then you've got that diabolical changeup. It's it's hard to be a sinker changeup guy and have a ton of success because everything's down, but that just shows you how nasty he is and how much better he's been getting at locating. Um, I'm a big Bayo fan, and I think he's just going to keep getting better and better. With pitchers, you got pronators and you got supinators, and, and supinators are guys that you know can, can spin it better, and pronators are guys that can kind of you know, throw that change up better and, and get their hand going the other way. He's definitely a pronator, but if he can find a way to be a little bit better with his supination and and spin the ball a bit better, I think it could be game over. Like he could be downright nasty. And he's got plenty of time to figure that side of it out. We're getting so deep. We're talking about pronation and supination. This might be my favorite episode we've ever done. All <laughs> right. Um, my next guy, I want everyone out there to keep an eye on this young pitcher. He's 23 years old. And he pitches for the Los Angeles Angels. And his name is Chase Silseth. Now, Chase Silseth was demoted to AAA back in June. But now he's up. And he's made some changes. And he's been really damn good. So what are those changes? Well, he used to have kind of two variations of a cutter. But one was called a slider. But it was a hard slider, right? Cutter slider, they're like 89, 90 miles an hour. They're, they're sliders, but they don't move a ton, right? But since he's came up, he's added a lot more horizontal movement to that hard slider. And his old slider is now acting more like a 12-6 curveball. So he's got a little, he's got a lot of different movement profiles on a bunch of different pitches now. And what we do know about Chase Hillseth when he first got called up, that's why he got called up so early in his big league career, was because his splitter was so fast fucking good but now he has multiple pitches with a 37 percent whiff rate for reference Garrett Cole doesn't have a pitch this season with a whiff rate over 27 percent or excuse me over 37 percent Chase Silseth right now has a 27 percent K rate he's got a 372 ERA with a 365 expected ERA and you know I love my ground ball guys like I said earlier Framber Valdez, 57% ground ball rate. Chase Silseth this season, 56%. Chase Silseth has a high velo fastball at 95 miles an hour. He already had that unhittable splitter. And then he broke off from these hard cutter, hard slider, not much variation in the movement to more of a horizontal slider and more of a 12-6 curveball. With all these different movement profiles with the hard fastball, He's still just 23 years old, 
and has been nails since the call-up. The Angels found a really good one, and this is a really hot take, but I think he has as much upside as anybody in the Angels rotation right now, of course, outside of Shohei Otani. And the reason that's kind of a hot take is they have Patrick Sandoval, who's just been nails now for a while, and Reed Detmers continues to light up a storm. But Chase Silseth has all the makings of a very good starter. And the Angels, they could really use a guy like that right now. And even moving yeah. forward, like let's say Otani leaves. All right. I'm not saying Silseth, Silseth, say, say Chase Silseth five times. <laughs> it's kind of hard. I'm not saying he could be an ace. But he's got the makings of one, and he's still so young. And I know when I texted you my list, you said, I love Chase Silseth. Yeah. So why do you love Chase Silseth? As much this is as another I guy. Yeah, no, this is another guy that just since he was a prospect, I just kind of felt was like unsung. I got my first look at him in double. And you, know, you, you talk about the splitter and how that was able to kind of carry him fastball with some life. But now adding that that slider, because the thing with the splitters is like, unless you're Kevin Gossman for a lot of guys, it's, it's inconsistent. And if you look at even Chase Silseth, like over his last 13 starts between the big leagues and, and the minor leagues, 54% strike rate on the splitter. He's gotten a lot of whiffs and a lot of strikeouts with that, but it's not always there. It's a, it's a feel pitch. It think can about, be just think about that stat for a second. 54% strike rate. One out of every two is a strike. Yeah. Like, like that's, just putting that in perspective. That's not that's, great. That's not great. But you have you have a secondary plan now, which is this slider that across that span, opponents are hitting a buck twenty five against it between the two between the majors and the minors, um, and just absolutely whiffing left and right. Uh, so now just having different plans of attack. You mentioned you know more of that that short cutter now too, and then more of the sweeping curveball, which is still labeled as a slider, but it, it just gives you such a different look. Um, I think this is one of those classic like. Wow, this guy has a lot of different pitches and a lot of different potential. How do we optimize it? And they finally found a way to optimize it. Um, and, and I think this is going to be somebody that's going to be good for a while. Uh, th this is, if you could buy Chase Silseth stock for your fantasy league, like I, I do it uh, because I don't think this is going to slow down anytime soon. And not to mention, he he's shoved in his last three starts against good lineups. Say what you want about the Yankees, but I mean, he, he shoved against the Yankees, then at the Braves in Atlanta, and then against a really hot Mariners team, he punches out 12. Uh, that's it's that's impressive stuff. I Forget just performing at the big leagues. He got thrown right into the fire and performed. Yeah, the Yankees aren't that tough of a matchup. Yeah. The Braves and Mariners are. <laughs> yeah. All right, your next guy, and then I got my, my last one. My next guy. So we I'm deciding between two. Who do I want to go to? Oh, I'll go to the lefty. I'll go to the Marlins guy. Braxton Garrett. I know you're I know you're a Braxton Garrett believer in terms of just like he's a gets out guy. Probably the least talented of all the guys that we're going to talk about here. Um but I I just like what he's done and I I like what he's figured out. And this is another dude that this stuff was never going to be great. So how do you figure out how to get out? Number 1 is pitchability and he's found that. He doesn't walk anybody. And number 2 is optimizing the arsenal. There's another guy that, look, he's a low 90s fastball at best. Four-seamer's just not going to play. Sinker will. So he ditches the four-seamer, which, you know, got hit pretty hard last year in, in exchange for this sinker that he's been throwing far more this year, and he's just spotting it, man. Like, he's getting a lot of ground balls. He's getting a lot of weak contact. And working off of that is his slider. We're talking about a lot of guys here that 
don't have elite stuff and find this sinker slider combination where they can work east west and get a lot of outs. And that's exactly what we're seeing from Braxton Garrett here. It's sinker and slider that he mixes in. But another issue that he had was okay, how am I going to get right handed hitters out? You know, the sinker slider works for left on left. I can just break that thing away from them. But how do I get right-handed hitters out. I'm not a big changeup guy. Like he mixes in the changeup, but it wasn't good enough to consistently count on. He adds a cutter and starts throwing that pitch. And I think that cutter has been a game changer for him. He runs it in on the hands of righties, doesn't throw it to lefties that much. And it's just a weak contact inducer. Is it a dominant pitch? No, but it's just another thing you have to think about. So after he runs the cutter in on your hands, now he can fade that changeup away from you as a righty. What I like about Braxton is, look, there, there is, I think all of the pitches kind of have to be working for him. To, to have a dominant start, but now he has an avenue to have dominant starts because before it was like, Oh, I just, when I would watch him pitch, I'm like, I just hope people hit it at guys. Like you just had to hope that they hit it at dudes. Now he can mix his looks. He can sequence well, and he can just kind of, I, I guess outsmart you with five different pitches, which is really cool. The Marlins don't like to have him go the third time through the lineup. So you'll see him mostly go five, six innings because I think hitters start to adjust to, you know, the ways that he attacks lefties and righties, uh, but his ability to mix a, a myriad of pitches and hit his spots, I think makes him a really solid and trustworthy back end of the rotation arm. And I think he's underrated because this is somebody that I think a lot of people weren't even looking at as a potential big league starter uh, or even somebody that you can count on in a big league role. You walk less than 4% of batters. You strike out 26% of batters. That's going to play even if you give up a lot of hard contact. And again, he mixes in enough weak contact here and there to, I think, churn out what will probably be a low four ZRA in most years and be a solid back end of the rotation arm. That's underrated for me because I don't think anybody really even paid attention to this guy before this year. And I also think he's underrated because when you think of Marlins pitching, you don't think Braxton Garrett. You think of Sandy, you think of Jesus Zardo, and there's potentially you think of guys with crazy stuff, like maybe an Edward Cabrera, even though yeah. he's been up and down. But arguably, outside of Jesus Zardo, the most consistent pitcher on the Miami Marlins has been Braxton Garrett. Yeah. And we talked about it on our on my betting show, not gambling advice, shameless plug, Monday through Friday, 4.30 to 6.30 p.m. Eastern, where the market was getting really, really high on Braxton Garrett, right? We're just talking about lines, right? Because I think the books were starting to realize, hey, this guy just keeps turning in quality starts. Yes. And people are betting on him and they keep winning. So we got to make him more expensive. And there was a couple of starts there where, all right, I was betting a lot on Braxton Garrett and winning. And then he just got really expensive. And I was like, all right, is he that good? So I was like, in betting, sometimes you want to fade that, right? Because then the value's on the other side. And there was one day where he was pitching and I was like, all right, I might fade him today. And I was like, oh, I made so much money off this guy. Like, I don't want to do it. So I didn't. And of course he won, even though he was still expensive. Like, I think he's kind of turning into that guy where it's like, it was good. Let's see you do it again. But then he kept doing it again and he's done it all season long and i see no reason especially based on your analysis why he can't continue to do no. so yeah stuff plus is gonna hate him um yeah the peripherals will probably hate him this there is a guy that like I think, that there are guys like gonna, that who always outperform him he's like your classic pitchability lefty last thing i'll say is i hate doing the like if you took all of these start if you take these two starts out he has these numbers but when we have a 23 start sample and there's two blow-up starts and ones at cores and one is at uh, against the Braves, 
and you could take those two out and against against the Braves, they left him in way too long because they needed innings. So he just got, he was a sacrificial lamb there. If you take the other 21 starts, which is a very fair sample, you take away cores and the best offense in baseball during that time where he was a sacrificial lamb, a 2.95 ERA, a 2.76 FIP, 27% K rate, 4% walk rate, and a 52% ground ball rate. Those are all things that absolutely play. And I'm not saying we're taking out a whole month here. We took out two starts, one at Coors, one against the Braves. That's it. That's the numbers you get here with Braxton Garrett. I, he's a big league starter, man. And it, you might have to pallet some of those blowups when the, you know, the, the command isn't totally there uh, because the stuff isn't going to bail him out. But it seems like the command's there more than it's not. And, and he has more starts, I think, with no walks than he does with two walks or more, which I think says a lot. Absolutely. Um, I, I'm just curious, too. I just want kind of want to ask you a question. Let's say the Marlins make the playoffs. Three-game series. What are you doing in the rotation? Oh, God. Um, that's a great question. I love Braxton Garrett in the regular season. I think he's one of those guys. I don't. I wouldn't lose my mind starting him, but I think you, you have to go Sandy. You just have to. You, I, unfortunately, like even if he's struggling, you have to. I'd go Lizardo, and I think I go Yuri. Mm. What are you doing? Pretty good. Yeah, I mean, that's sick. that's really good. No, that, that's, that's why I was just curious because I was curious if you had enough confidence in him. To start him, like let's say game four, you, you're going to Braxton Garrett, right? You're not going to Sandy on three days rest or anything. No, no, no. I'm, I trust him, especially yeah. if it's one of those teams that like can't hit lefties. He seems to feast on those teams. Like he yeah. takes advantage of that. So, no, I would trust him in game four. I trust him more than Johnny Cueto, Edward Cabrera, of course. I know that's not saying a ton, but I'd trust, I'd rather throw him than one of those other guys on short rest, unless Sandy's looking like, you know, Cy Young Sandy. Which he might be. He has looked a lot better, but he still sometimes has that blow up inning where it's like four runs and you're just like, so shit. One inning. I know. And it's five shutout, but he goes six and he allows four. And you're like, what? Yep. All right. For my last guy, Aroldis Chapman was traded to the Chicago Cubs and they won a World Series, but they got fleeced because they gave up Glaber Torres for a reliever. But I'm sure the Cubs don't care. No. The Rangers are in a similar spot, right? Because they traded away a role as Chapman and they may end up winning a World Series because of it. But there's a strong possibility in my mind. Now it's early, but there's a big possibility that they will also get fleeced because Cole Reagans of the Kansas City Royals is one of the most intriguing young pitchers in Major League Baseball, right? He was a first round pick by the Texas Rangers and just never really clicked with them. But he's still 25 years old and credit to the Royals pitching department because they I think they found something really, really good in Cole Reagans. So what happened? Well, first, in his first start against the Rays, five innings, three Ks, right? Threw his slider twice. And the reason I'm bringing his slider up is because it's a really damn good pitch and it's a new shiny car, right? First off. He's averaging 96 miles an hour on his fastball last year. If you look back in 2022, averaged 92 miles an hour. Now, he wasn't a starter just averaging 92. He could get it up there, but he can never hold velocity like he is now, averaging 96 miles an hour from a left-handed pitcher. The only two pitchers in Major League Baseball right now who are throwing harder than him is Jesus Azardo and Shane McClanahan. Then there's Cole Reagans, right? But 
what prompted in his last two starts to strike out eight, then 11 in 12 innings. So that's 19 Ks in 11 innings. It's this new slider. So when he came over to Kansas City in his last two starts, this is a pitch to watch. First of all, it has a 47% whiff rate. Shohei Otani's sweeper has a 39% whiff rate. So that's the type of swing and miss type pitch it has acted in its first two starts. It's very, very early, but it is something to watch with a 25-year-old lefty who already is maintaining velocity at 96 miles an hour and always had the bread and butter changeup, right? Even when he was not very good with the Rangers, opponents were hitting 151 against it. This year, opponents are still hitting 163 against it. But the slider, that's what's so key for him, Arm. 40 7% whiff rate. Opponents right now are hitting 091. And he has thrown it 27 times this season. 25 of those came in his last two starts. And it produced uh, 13 innings, 19 Ks, two earned runs against good offenses. Yeah. This is a really, really intriguing young pitcher that the Royals desperately need. <laughs> oh my gosh, do they need him? And an awesome story. You talk about the struggles. This guy, two Tommy John surgeries and came back from the second Tommy John surgery with an uptick of like three miles per hour. That's the craziest part is you get the second TJ and you go from sitting low 90s to sitting 96, flirting with 100. Um, so it's just an awesome story from that lens. He's 6'4", a lefty that was a pitchability guy, now is like a stuff guy. And the changeup, like you said, it's a field pitch that's always been there for him. So that's still there. And now it's playing up even more because he's sitting 96. And now he's got this slider he found. The arsenal with those three pitches, like that's a middle rotation arsenal. We'll see if it sticks. You know, it, it's health related. It's, you know, we'll see if he could just continue to do it. But from the starts that we've seen so far, like this version of Cole Reagans is like a, is a stud. You talk about the whiff numbers, the last two starts, 12 and two thirds, 19 punch outs, two walks and one earned run. Like this is some crazy stuff. Really exciting get for the Royals here. And again, I hope he stays healthy and, and, and keeps rolling, but it's cool to see a guy off of his second TJ tick up like three spots to 96. It's absolutely unreal. And you talk about those three offerings, right? Four seam fastball change up slider. If he just had those. Yeah, I, I agree. He could be, you know, maybe a strong number three. But how about the curveball, too, right? Opponents are only hitting 174 against it, 26% whiff rate. The launch angle against it is negative five. Opponents are hitting it straight into the ground. Quality of contact is great, has a ton of great movement, and he throws it 81 miles an hour, right? So not only does it have good movement, not only is it producing ground balls, but it's just a nice taste breaker from the 96, right? From the harder slider, right? From the changeup. It's just a completely different velocity. So you got to get ready for a bunch of different speeds. Kind of reminds me of a, a guy in his own division, Tarek Skubal. Kind of one of those guys. This could, this could be, and now it's early, ladies and gentlemen. It's very early. But if he's 80% of what he's shown in his last two starts, if he can maintain this velocity and the slider continues to make waves, you could be looking at a guy with four plus pitches from the left side. That's fucking electric. 
Yeah, I'm I'm excited to see more Cole Reagans. It's uh it's a fun trade. New new Royals regime here. The new front office is definitely a different different vibe. Uh, they their pitchers throughout the system are doing better. I think they're identifying clearly pitchers much better, and uh, that's a great sign for Royals fans because I know it's been a very long year. Brady Singer, another guy, really struggled at the beginning of the season, but has gotten better and better and better, including a great start against the Boston Red Sox in his last start. And I'm sure you can point to a couple of prospects that you expect to be on the rise. And I don't yeah. think Zach Greinke and Jordan Lyles are going to be involved in the future of this team with all due respect. I don't think Granky's ever leaving. I think he'll play for free next year. That's true. He'll be the five starter forever. <laughs> he'll play for free until they literally finally build out a rotation and push him out of there. But my last guy, Johan Oviedo, right-handed pitcher with the Pittsburgh pirates. Talk about extension. This is a dude who gets extension, not quite Bailey over extension, who I think is number one in all of baseball, but good extension. What, what, over seven feet, he's six four, long levers, and now is starting to pound the strike zone more than ever. Fastball sits ninety six, can flirt with triple digits, and I, I mean it, it absolutely has some late dive to it. It's it's a heavy fastball, picks up a fifty seven percent ground ball rate on that, but also sneaky whiff because it could still play at the top of the zone because he throws it so damn hard. So a rare sinker that also gets whiff at the top of the zone slider that is just gross and keeps getting better. And that's the thing that's been, I think a very big game changer for him is being able to just consistently throw that slider. He's throwing it more than his four seam fastball or sinker. I should say this year, it gets labeled on Savant as a four seamer, but it's a sinker. He's thrown it more than that pitch this year, which is really, really impressive because this is a guy that didn't totally have the command going for him and now is spotting that slider spots the fastball and also mixes in this curveball which it worked for him last year but for whatever reason he didn't have enough confidence to throw it that much only threw it around 11 percent of the time now he's throwing it 16 percent of the time uh there's three different pitches he can get you with the changeup's been a work in progress he still hasn't really found that yet if he can find that pitch i think that'll really put him over the top but he's just been really fun to watch for this Pittsburgh Pirates team. And you look at the last three starts for him. He's been dynamite. 20 innings. He's given up just two earned runs. That's a 0.90 ERA, which is, again, amazing. Back-to-back seven-inning starts of one earned run or less and a six-inning start of one earned run. He scatters his walks well. Again, the command keeps getting better. And he gets the swings and misses when he needs to. This guy is just high-octane stuff. uh, Gets on you quick and starting to throw more strikes. I don't think he'll ever have the quality of secondaries to be, you know, a lights out type of starter, but I think the improved command, the stuff that gets on you quicker, the quality of fastball, this is somebody that's going to be a quality big league starter, I think for a long time. And the the, the confidence he has in that slider now is pretty remarkable. He lands up for a strike around 68, 69% of the time. That's really good for a slider. You just don't see it that often. Uh, somebody being able to command it like that. I think Oviedo is a nice find here for the for the Pittsburgh Pirates. He's still just 25 years old. Yeah, Oviedo and I have a interesting relationship because I bet on him three times this season, and I've lost three times, and it has not been because of him. He's six and eleven. The Pirates just don't show up when he's on the mound, and maybe that's on me because he does have six wins and he has won games for the Pirates, and the Pirates are not a dog shit team. They haven't been great this season, but they also haven't been very good either. But yeah, and I keep going back to the same things that you were saying. I was like, this guy's got it. Now, it's all about putting it together start over start, right? Because he's still got an ERA in the fours. But there's so much to like with this guy because he goes after hitters and he's got good stuff. I would like to see, 
And what I'm surprised to see this season is that the strikeout rate is not as high as I would think because he does have electric stuff. But like you said earlier, like we've talked about a lot of young pitchers, six foot five, 245 pounds at 25 years old. This guy could be a horse for a long time. And I think this season is a good figuring it out type season. Like next year, I think he could potentially take that leap. I guess I'm just a little bit worried about the hard stuff because his breaking balls are so damn good, but he's just had problem with quality of contact against his, you know, fastball cutter. Yeah. That was the number one variations. That was the number one thing I was going to say is, is fastball command seems to be the big thing here. And that, I mean, that's a big sticking point for a lot of young, big power pitchers. But the fact that he has a he's a better feel for his slider than his fastball right now, it's which is crazy. If he can find that feel for the fastball and start spotting it, I, I think it's going to be a big, big challenge for hitters. And he had the fastball command over the last three starts, and we saw the results. So if he can build on that, I think he's going to be a problem. Uh, so it should be pretty fun to see him continue to develop. Six foot five pitcher in the 94th percentile of extension with a 96 yeah. mile an hour fastball touching yeah. triple digits. The only problem is that hitters could hit a speeding bullet, right? If yeah. it's middle, they can hit it. Oh, get it. Locating it. He turns into like a really big time starter, yeah. right? He almost looks like Mitch Keller was at the beginning of the season. Not the current Mitch Keller, no. right? Who's, who's the, really the falling Mitch off Keller. Yeah, the like tra- that kind of pitcher. Last He's five very, starts. Very last five starts, opponents hitting a buck 40 against him. I That's what happens when he throws more strikes. So it's been fun to see. And that'll do it for this episode of the Just Baseball Show. Top 10 underrated pitchers. That was really, really fun. Pro Nation, Super Nation, Extension, X-Dogging them. We covered it all, and we hope you really enjoyed it. And if you did, if you could hit that subscribe button on YouTube, if you watched us, hit the like button and comment other pitchers that we missed, right? We just highlighted five each. We could have highlighted 60. And I'm sure there are guys that you have thought about that you've watched in your favorite team that you did not hear mentioned in this episode let us know and let us know why because i love reading through the youtube comments you guys put out paragraphs and i love them they're so smart so continue to fill up those youtube comments and then if you're listening on spotify or apple podcast or apple core media i was looking at our podcast metrics we got people listening on tons of different platforms wherever you're at if you could leave a five-star review and if it's possible to write a review we'd greatly appreciate it Go check out the Just Baseball merch store. It's in the episode description. I'm rocking the rope hat. Arms rocking the dad hat. I just just updated it. Just updated the store. Way more navigable. Now you can see all of the different things we have. Literally from coffee mugs to flags for your dorm room or apartment to all the different shirts and uh, polos, like athletic polos to golfing. Like I love love our athletic polos now that we have like crew necks, hoodies, all that good stuff. Stores definitely, you can see the whole inventory a lot easier now. And that's in the episode description. And uh, what else do we have to pitch? What else do we have to pitch, Arm? There's there's more. I, I don't know. I don't know either. It's all right. That's Arm. I'm Peter. Oh, wait. No, I forgot again. That's Arm. I'm Peter. And with that, thank you, everybody. American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20.